Welcome to the Academic CME Podcast. As always, this program is a top quality accredited CE activity. If you would like to receive credit for this or any other Academic CME Podcast, please click the link in the description below or go to academiccme.com forward slash podcast. Hello there, I'm Paminda Church. I'm a nephrologist in Oxford and I work in the clinical trials unit in University of Oxford. It's a pleasure to be able to be joining you today for this podcast. I'd like to hand over to my colleagues who will introduce themselves also. Hi, I'm Rich Taines. I'm the Professor of uh, Renal Medicine and Clinical Trials at the Clinical Trials Service Unit. Um, and I was one of the co-principal investigators on MPKidney. Um, and I'm Will Harrington. I'm also a nephrologist and trialist, and I was the other co-principal investigator. Thank you very much both. So we'll start with um, our first question um, to Richard. So Richard, could you tell us a little bit about what is the natural course of CKD and how does it differ in persons with type 2 diabetes versus those without? Thanks, Paminda. So chronic kidney disease is quite a common condition that affects about 10% of the population, uh, varies a bit around the world. Uh, and in some people, chronic kidney disease gets worse as they get older. We all lose kidney function uh, with time, um, but people with chronic kidney disease tend to lose it a bit more quickly. Um, a small minority of people with chronic kidney disease lose all of their kidney function and effectively develop kidney failure. Um, and that depends on the level of kidney function, how damaged their kidneys are, which we can measure by seeing how much protein they have in their urine or not. Um, and people with diabetes do tend to lose kidney function a bit faster than those without, but that's probably because their kidneys are a bit more damaged by the diabetes. Um, so overall, um, the number of people starting dialysis every year varies a lot around the world. Um, in America, it can be up to nearly a thousand people per million per year starting in the U here in the UK, uh, the rates are a bit lower, um, but people with diabetes are at higher risk than those without. Thank you very much, Richard. So, Will, over to you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how might SGLT2 inhibitors influence that course? Yes, well, SGLT2 inhibitors are an interesting class of drug. Um, they were designed initially to try and treat high blood glucose levels in people with type 2 diabetes. And the way that they work is they target the reabsorption of glucose within the kidneys. Your kidneys naturally filter glucose from the blood. And if it gets to particularly high levels, it actually passes out into the urine. That's how diabetes was actually discovered and, and what it represents. You pass out lots of glucose with, with uh, water. And the way that SGLT2 inhibitors work is they inhibit a particular transporter in the kidneys, causing about half of your filtered glucose to pass out into the urine which can be up to 100 grams per day in people with diabetes. Now, these drugs are actually relatively weak at lowering um, uh, blood glucose because natural fact it stimulates increased appetite. Um, but what they were discovered to do 
um, is in actual fact uh, uh, reduce the levels of albumin in the urine, that protein that Richard was referring to. And we think that that albumin is a marker of kidney damage. Um, and these drugs were reducing the level of albumin. And we think that the way these drugs are actually working mechanistically within the kidney is reducing um, pressure within the filtration unit, which we know is abnormally high in people with type 2 diabetes. But what's quite interesting is that we saw rather marked effects um, in early trials, suggesting um, that the drugs were particularly effective at this um, at lowering of pressure within the kidney. Um, and what we postulated was that this may actually have a benefit which extends beyond people with type 2 diabetes. Thanks, Will. So that moves us nicely on to my next question um, for you, Richard. So prior to Remper Kidney, what signals from other trials suggested or demonstrated discernible renoprotective effects of SGLT2 inhibitors? So I think um, the first time um, that Will and I saw the results of a trial called EMPA-REG, which was one of the, um, the big early trials of one of the SGLT2 inhibitors called empagliflozin uh, in people with diabetes, uh, that gave a a really strong hint that these drugs might be protecting people's kidneys. And it did that in two ways. First of all, they did measure um, some kidney outcomes in that trial and found that they were fewer in the people with, um, who received empagliflozin compared to placebo. But in particular, they measured kidney function um, at every visit. Um, and we saw a a pattern of results there, which looked like these drugs were protecting the kidney. And what we saw um, was that they initially caused a, a little drop in kidney function. Um, but after that, uh, the rate that the people, people's kidney function was getting worse was slowed down considerably. And that hockey stick-like pattern with a little drop at the start and then a, a slowing um, is something that we've seen with other drugs which we know are beneficial for people's kidneys and that's drugs like ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers um, and that was really the first really good hint that these drugs could be good for people's kidneys. Um, since then there have been um, other trials, many other trials, um, all showing that in fact these drugs do appear to protect people's kidneys primarily amongst people with diabetes or with people with lots of protein in their urine. But that left um, uncertainty in other groups of patients, uh, which we went on, went on to study uh, in empathy. Thanks, Richard. So, Will, back to you. Can you tell me what specific questions you thought needed to be answered in the design of the empathy trial? Yes, Belinda, it seemed like only yesterday, but it was actually back in 2016 we were thinking about the design of kidney. At that point, there was just the Empereg outcome trial. Since then, there's been 11 other large SGLT2 inhibitor trials published before kidney reported results out. But we were lucky in that we were thinking slightly differently to the other trialists. Even back in 2016, it was clear that these drugs were having large effects on kidney function and could be particularly effective, not in just those people with type 2 diabetes, but also in people um, without type 2 diabetes, so people without diabetic kidney disease, because we felt that there was a common mechanism 
for kidney disease progression of raised pressure within that filtration unit, the, the intracomerular hypertension. And the second thing that we observed was the effects in empyreic outcome were so marked that even if perhaps they were attenuated somewhat in people with the most advanced stages of chronic kidney disease, because they're filtering less and they're, they're actually um, excreting less glucose, they could still have important moderate benefits. We actually postulated that we might see about half the effects in empyreic outcome and we were powering the trial to look at a, a modest effects, maybe 20, 18 to 20% relative risk reductions. But because the population of people with empyreic kidney we were seeking to study were particularly high risk of progressing to dialysis, we still thought that doing a trial to assess for about a 20% relative risk reduction in kidney disease progression um, would be a meaningful um, trial to design. So that's what we sought to do. Um, in a wide range of patients back in 2016. Thanks, Will. Back to you, Richard. So can you tell us um, how the EMPA kidney data answered those questions? Um, so what we saw in EMPA kidney, the, um, the main outcome, if you like, was that the, these drugs really do help people with chronic kidney disease. So the primary outcome was, a, was what we call a composite outcome, where we looked at a combination of whether people's kidneys got worse kidney disease progression, we called it, um, and whether they died of cardiovascular disease. Um, what we saw was that in the population that we ended up recruiting, about 17% of the population in the placebo group went on to have one of those outcomes. So either their kidney function got substantially worse, or they um, sadly died of cardiovascular disease. But when we looked in the people um, who were given empagliflozin, it was that rate was reduced to 13%. Um, so that's actually quite a substantial benefit um, in terms of reducing the risk of people having a, a bad outcome in the trial. So we, we found really good evidence there that um, empagliflozin reduces the risk of poor outcomes for people with kidney disease. Excellent results. Thank you very much, Richard. So, Will, um, moving back to you, what do you think are the most significant findings from the Empa Kidney trial? Thank you, Berminda. So, um, before Empa Kidney um, uh, published its results, um, there was a trial called DAPA CKD, which had studied a selected population of patients with chronic kidney disease at risk of progression. Um, particularly people with high levels of protein, but they included people um, uh, without diabetes. And a subgroup analysis had very much suggested there were benefits extending to people without diabetes. Where empikidney adds particularly to the evidence and the forage will be interested in was that we studied a much larger number of people without diabetes. But also within that subgroup and the other subgroup of type 2 diabetes, we also studied a lot of people um, with low levels of kidney function. In fact, about a third of the trial population had a level of kidney function of an EGFR, estimated chimeric filtration rate, less than 30. And we even got some with levels down at, at below 20. And what was quite remarkable about the trial result, which Richard described this 28% relative risk reduction in the primary outcome, was that it appeared rather consistent across the full range of EGFR studied, despite the fact 
we know that the amount of glucose that's excreted, total amount is reduced. So our hypothesis at the start is we would see smaller effects, but still important effects. But we saw in actual fact, large effects across all of the subgroups in relative terms. So that 28% relative risk reduction might be, expect, might be predicted in people with high, medium or low levels of kidney function. And we also remarkably saw that the effects appeared similar in people irrespective of whether or not they had diabetes or not. So again, tests first, statistical tests to see if there's a difference between the two groups of patients were similar in the trial. So the overall result um, is likely to be the best result for most people um, with chronic kidney disease. Um, there was actually an area of interest. All trials come to an area where the data becomes thin. Um, and where the data became thin in every kidney were two areas. So one, our um, cardiovascular event rate was lower than expected. So we had um, lower numbers of cardiovascular deaths than we were expected. Um, <clears throat> we found um, that there was a non-significant non effect on um, cardiovascular death and indeed other cardiovascular-based outcomes. But the results, the, the, the point estimates of the results were consistent with the rest of the data from the other trials. Essentially, we had uh, selected such a high-risk population for kidney disease progression that our trial primary outcome was dominated by kidney disease progression results. Um, the second, I think, significant finding was the fact that we had studied a broad range of patients with high, medium, and low levels of protein in the urine, albuminuria. And what the trial suggested was that the benefits might be larger in people with higher levels of albumin in the urine, which might be predicted from, from the fact that we think those patients with high levels of albumin might have the highest level of pressure within the glomerulus, the highest levels of intracomerular hypertension where this drug works. But what was quite nice is in exploratory pre-specified analyses, we're able to look more carefully at those patients who are progressing more slowly and they had a rather small number of the primary outcomes, which can take quite some time to develop if you're progressing slowly. Um, it takes time to progress to, be, to, to need dialysis or a kidney transplant. But our analyses of what we call estimated primary filtration rate slope, so EGFR slopes, um, suggested that benefits were present in all patients. Um, so I think those were the key significant efficacy findings um, uh, of epikidney. Thank you very much, Will. Richard, coming back to you, are there any other important findings that would be of particular um, relevance to clinicians um, who would want to prescribe um, these medications um, that you've found from epikidney? Yes, yeah, so I think um, Will's given a really good explanation of the, the benefits uh, that have been seen in a, in a wide variety of people. Um, safety is just as important um, and Empikidney overall confirmed that the, these class of drugs, SGLT2 inhibitors, are pretty, pretty safe. They do have some known side effects. Um, they cause um, genital candle infections in, in some people, uh, but they're the vast majority of the time, they aren't serious. You can be easily treated and don't require the drug to be stopped. Um, but they do cause a rare side effect in people with diabetes um, called ketoacidosis, where um, if 
people with diabetes get ill for another reason and their body um, lacks insulin, can't produce enough insulin, they can um, develop this condition called ketoacidosis. And that's more common in people taking SGLT2 inhibitors. But this is, although they do increase that risk, it's taking it from a, a very low risk um, and increasing it, and it still remains a low risk. So um, the benefits certainly appear to outweigh the risks in MP kidney. And, so, and when you look at the trials, all of the trials, the big trials that have been done of SGLT2 inhibitors, it seems that the, the absolute benefits that you get from these drugs uh, far outweighs uh, the risks uh, that they might cause. Thank you very much, Richard. Will, coming back to you, finally, can you tell us what's next for kidney? Yes, well, um, so Empikidney um, uh, has been a fantastic journey for us running the, the trial from Oxford. It's been done with a collaboration around the, the world with, with seven other countries who managed to deliver really clear results and high levels of adherence to the patients. Um, during the two years of follow-up, despite all of the challenges of COVID-19. Uh, what we are doing at the moment um, is we are busy reporting the results of the trial, um, and there is a publication in the New England Journal which describes the main analyses, and there is also a meta-analysis combining kidney with all of the other SGLT2 inhibitor trials available open access in the Lancet, developed in collaboration with the SMART-C team, um, and on our website, www.empikidney.org, we have a series of um, uh, videos and we also have slides from the presentations, um, which um, we would encourage listeners to go and review, use for your local journal clubs, because we want the information for Empikidney, such an important result, to rapidly translate into changes of clinical care, both locally, but also um, impact on clinical guidelines. Um, and Empikidney is the trial which doesn't stop here. Um, we're very pleased to be able to do a series of additional work. Um, we still would really like to fully understand all the mechanisms by which um, these class of drugs benefit the kidneys. We found that they benefit the kidneys not just on uh, reducing risk of kidney disease progression to dialysis, they also reduce something called acute kidney injury, sudden declines in kidney function, and we are looking at biomarkers in the urine to see if we can identify benefits on the kidney tubules, the latter part of the kidney. And also um, we are um, exploring the longer term effects of the trial um, treatment. And um, we treat patients for two years, but we are following them for a further two years to assess the long term impact of um, uh, two years of the test treatment in pagliflozin on both kidney disease progression, but also on causes of mortality. And we hope that will give us the types of information we need to assess um, dialysis risk um, and also do health economic analyses um, because it's, it's, it's very possible these drugs are not only cost effective in a, a wide range of people with chronic kidney disease, we might see that even just two years of treatment might actually be cost saving. So by treating patients with these drugs, we might actually save health services their costs. And we're very interested in um, developing that data for the community. Thank you. 
So, well, Richard, thank you very much to both of you for taking us through such an exciting and important set of results. Um, congratulations to both of you on the um, findings from Ember Kidney. And thank you to all the listeners who have tuned in today.